Welcome to episode 54 of the unofficial 75 Greatest Marvels Countdown podcast, the podcast where we discuss and examine the 75 greatest Marvel stories as chosen by Marvel readers and published by Marvel Comics itself. The countdown continues every Wednesday until June 1st, 2016. And joining us today for the first, but certainly not the last time, we've got Fractures, a member of the Horizon Labs Twitter and Facebook group. Welcome aboard, Fractures. Hi there, how are you doing? Good, yourself? Yeah, not bad, thanks. It's a bit of a rainy day in in the in the UK, but it's normal for us, really, to be fair. We've had two weeks of sun, mm-hmm. so that was the summer. It's gone now. Okay, yeah, I'm told I had, I had exceptional luck. It was there for seven days in the year 2004 were sunny. That was, the, that was our summer then. <laughs> yeah, and that was November. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. All right, so this week we are discussing the four-issue Wolverine miniseries, the first time he had a solo title. And this was written by Chris Claremont, penciled by Frank Miller, inked by Joseph Rubenstein, or Rubenstein, I don't know how it would be pronounced, colored by Glynis Oliver, or Glynis Oliver Ween, and Lynn Varley. I think Lynn Varley just did the one issue. Mm-hmm. Letter by Tom Morzachowski. Now, Louise, a.k.a. Wheezy Simonson, was the editor, and Jim Shooter was editor-in-chief. Issues were released with cover dates ranging from September to December 1982. But due to anomalies in the shipping schedule, the issues actually shipped... Two in June, one June 1st, 1982, the second at the end of June, and the last two in August 1982, ending on August 31st, 1982. And it came in at spot number 54 in the countdown. So those are the technical details from here. Might as well start with a bit of a plot synopsis. Okay. This is a story of Wolverine in Japan, isn't it? So Wolverine is in love with Mariko. He tries to get in touch with her and get. he finds that all his letters are being sent back to him. Uh, so he goes to Japan and finds out that she is now married as part of an honor deal with her father, Lord Shinjin of the clan Yoshida. And she's married to a chap who's not particularly nice to her and is pretty abusive to her. So Wolverine tries to go and convince her to come away with him and ends up fighting Lord Shinjin, who manages to make Wolverine re- reveal his berserker side, which scares Mariko. He then I guess, proves himself unworthy for her hand in marriage, falls in with Yukio, who is a assassin who is actually working for Shinjin himself. Shinjin himself, is his big plan is to make a play for the underworld of Japan. So he's trying to kill off his competition. And he uh, encharges that to Yukio, who takes Wolverine along. And what Wolverine managed to foil an attempt on Mariko. And then he ends up taking apart Shinjin's empire uh, one by one until he has the final fight with Shinjin and kills him. And in the end, the X-Men get an invitation to their wedding. Obviously, there's a mm-hmm. lot more that happens, but I guess as plot synopsis go, that was pretty long as it is, I think. Well, it depends a little bit on who's writing it. I mean, yeah, it's it's only four issues, yeah. but these are four Chris Claremont issues. <laughs> yes. So <laughs> a lot can happen in four Chris Claremont issues. This is very true. This is very true. I tried to cut out all the wordy, <laughs> wordy uh, balloons, but... Uh, I suppose, I mean, in a sense, they were both trying to flesh out Wolverine, weren't they? Mm-hmm. Wolverine's popularity, I think, took everyone by a bit of surprise. I don't, I'm not entirely sure that they thought he was going to be that popular. He was fairly unpopular in the first run to the point that they were about to drop him. And mm. at the time, John Byrne was the penciler. And Byrne yep. is the one that, that stepped up and said, you know, some of you may have already heard this in the Alpha Flight 12 episode, but that had not been released at the time of, of this recording. Uh, Byrne was the one that said, no, you've got this international team. You're going to drop the only Canadian superhero. Give yeah. me a shot. Yeah, and yeah. what Byrne did with him, particularly through the Dark Phoenix saga, 
really helped mm. propel him into popularity. Ninjas were big, and he had that natural tie-in with the ninjas. We'd seen that in the, the two-part story when they were in Japan with Sunfire, and we knew that he was a samurai and had experience with some of these guys, so it wasn't hard to, to bridge that gap. And when you've got Frank Miller on pencils, who was really excited by that part of the world, as was shown in his Daredevil run, mm. well, it just seemed like a natural way to flesh out the character, give him a miniseries, and support Chris Claremont's philosophy that the X-Men are less a superhero team and more, you know, a series of mutants who are just kind of thrown together and they have to deal with this stuff. And they should have separate lives and just sort of come and go from the team. So this is a chance for Wolverine to go away and have a personal life for a while and come back. Yeah, and also sort of to flesh him flesh him out a bit more than just the sort of berserker that we all knew. I've only ever read this in trade. I, I wasn't lucky enough to get the single issues when they first came out. And I think the story of how this uh, mini came about is described in many places, and Claremont talks about it frequently, but that he had a chat with Frank Miller, and Frank, he wanted to do a mini with Wolverine, but Frank was not interested in just doing a a standard sort of... He basically had no interest in Wolverine as a character until Claremont spoke to him about having a Japanese angle, seeing Wolverine as more of a sort of a rogue samurai, a ronin, and that sort of piqued his interest, I guess. Was Miller had just finished with Daredevil, or at least finished drawing, I think. I think it's around this time that he'd finished with Daredevil, at least for the first time. It was bef- this is before mm-hmm. Born Again, but after... Looking at the other ones that are in the countdown, Daredevil 181, which is the end of the Frank Miller Visionaries Volume 2, mm-hmm. that one had come out with the cover date of April 1982. It was actually released in December 1981. All right, so he had still some way to go then, because he, then he was still writing Daredevil at that time. Although Klaus Janssen has probably taken over most of the art, but I think so anyway. It's an interesting story. It sort of gives him a, a bit more of a backstory in the sense that, you know, we knew that he'd been to Japan in those two issues that you've spoken about. He spoke in Japanese to Mariko. What's a bit far-fetched is I, I don't remember him seeing Mariko after that, but he had obviously fallen in love with her so much that when this mini came out, it was a big deal that her letters were being returned to him. But this is never actually mm-hmm. fleshed out in the Uncanny X-Men issues. so. Take that as you will. But you can see sort of the, the Frank Miller touches in this. So the fight scenes, there's very little dialogue, mm-hmm. which is unusual for a Claremont comic. Usually at that point, he'll be saying, I'm the best at what I do, or and this is the best thing that I do, or something like that. But this, it's all quiet. It's all very quiet. There aren't that many sounds either. It's just quiet, beautiful choreography. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the only thing for me that doesn't really fit is the fact that he would put his costume on. Yeah. This is a sort of a story on the side. It just doesn't make sense that he'd have his costume on for any of this. One of the good thing in that yeah. Wolverine mm-hmm. movie was the fact that he was never in costume because it doesn't add up. You wouldn't go around announcing yourself as a superhero in this kind of story. That's true. Although, I mean, he did have the costume before he was a member of X-Men, right? His original yellow costume is one he had in Incredible Hulk 181 when he's associated with Alpha Flight. Yeah, true. But he's wearing the brown and tan in this one, isn't he? The best one. He is, yeah. The one that... John Byrne introduced in his in issue 142. Yeah, the best costume ever for him anyway. Reading it now as a guy who's read loads of comics, that sort of takes me out of the story a little bit, seeing him in that. But otherwise, you know, Joe Rubenstein does a great job of inking Frank Miller. I think this is the last time we see Miller illustrating in a typical superhero fashion. I think from this, mm-hmm. he went on to do Ronin for DC, which was a complete departure from his normal art, let's say, superhero art. Yeah, I did uh, check my database as we were talking. And yeah, at this point in Frank Miller's Daredevil run, he wasn't doing the art, although he would come back for his last issue, which is issue 191 that was covered in April 1983. Right. Okay. 
I've always liked Frank Miller art, not not recently, but certainly before. And you can see hints throughout this uh, story about of what's to come. There's one particular page where he's grabbed Yukio and he's about to jump out of the window and there are arrows flying everywhere. And that picture, that splash, you could just put that into a Sin City book. It'd look right in place in Sin City. But the rest of the book is very much very traditional superhero stuff, apart from the stuff in the shadows. But I mean, did you I mean, what did you think of the story? I'll stop talking now. I enjoyed it. I originally read this myself. Like you, I wasn't picking up the original issues, possibly because I was four. <laughs> yeah. I originally read it on Marvel Digital Unlimited. That's actually the only copy I have read is on that one as part of my X-Men read through. Because at one point I sat down, cataloged all the Marvel Digital Unlimited for my own database that I was already using for my collection. Because as you can guess, just by the fact that I already had 73 out of 75 issues when this list was announced, it's a significant collection, thanks in large part to Get Corp DVDs. So I I just read it in the chronological order of cover dates rather than publication as just part of the X-Men read-through. So at what point point were you in Uncanny X-Men when you read this then? Can you remember? Not off the top of my head. I don't remember the issue numbers because they kind of blur when you sit down and read 10 or 12 a day. Sure, 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 sure. It does very clearly fit in the continuity. So when you're reading, yeah. there is a point where Wolverine is off in Japan, and the characters refer to the fact that Wolverine's not here because he's off in Japan. Yeah. You know, in the Claremont era of having multiple X books, well, you were only in one at a time, and they flat out told you where each character's thread got picked up and dropped. At that point, there was only Uncanny X-Men. I don't think there was anything else at that time. Yeah, this was just getting to the point where they were starting to have a spin-off miniseries. New Mutants hadn't launched yet. Yeah. But, you know, and obviously it's had long... Long-ranging effects on Wolverine, hasn't it, this series? And Mariko is a, is a recurring character. She doesn't marry him. And then, well, spoiler, she dies later on in his Wolverine series. But And everything, it always goes back to Japan, isn't it? Even mm-hmm. in the more recent Wolverine stuff, like, what was it, Daniel Way's Wolverine Origins, they went back to Japan. Didn't he have the sword that she gave him? Wasn't that the only sword that killed him or something? That's the way it's been described to me. I haven't read a lot of Wolverine solo material. As a character, a lot of my early exposures to him were the very shallow version of Wolverine that this was specifically trying to counteract, so he never really engaged me. It's like, sure, he's the best he is at what he does, and what he does isn't very nice, but from what I could tell, that's all he did. Yeah, I mean, look, full disclosure, Wolverine has always been my favorite Marvel character up to a point. I suppose the great thing that Claremont used to do was that, yes, he had the healing factor, yes, he was the best at what he did, but if you read those uncanny X-Men issues, he was always not 100%. So there's mm-hmm. always something wrong with him. You know, he's he's not healing as well as he normally should. So even though, yes, he was the guy who should take the licks, he wasn't 100%. So there's always that little bit of danger. Oh, you know, something, he may go off, something may happen. I don't see Claremont regrowing the entirety of Wolverine from a single red blood cell. No, no. Although that is what happened in that annual I don't know if you've got to that point yet. Is the um? Yeah, I'm I'm not up to there, but I was up to 1989 when I sort of put my X Men read through aside to work on this podcast. So the first time that kind of happened was in an annual that was illustrated by Alan Davis. But that was sort of a it was a situation where you say, okay, well maybe that could happen. But it, when it became the norm, that's when I started losing interest in him. And when he got his memories back, I completely lost interest in him. What made him unique was the fact that, like in this mini, you know, he doesn't know his past. Mm-hmm. He's still unsure of his past. That's what made him differ from everyone else. You know, and then you would have those great issues. You know, my favorite Uncanny X-Men issue is the issue with him 
Captain America and Black Widow, you know, illustrated by Jim Lee. That's whenever I see that in a con, I just buy it. I've got loads of copies of it. That's my favorite because that was back in Madripoor. Captain America was young. So was Logan. You know, mm-hmm. he says he's Canadian. Everyone assumes he's American. He tells them he's Canadian. You know, he, he doesn't have the claws yet, but he's still got the healing. It was it's, that's, that's a brilliant. I mean, is that that's I bet that's not on the bloody countdown, is it? No, it's not. No, this is I believe this is actually the only Wolverine solo story as a Wolverine story. This shows up and Incredible Hulk 181 shows up. Weapon X isn't on there either. Weapon X didn't make it. Fatal Attractions did, which is a next-gen team book with pretty significant repercussions for Wolverine, as I understand it. I haven't read that yet. Yeah, yeah sure. It's still not the greatest. Anyway, anyway, fair enough. <clears throat> we didn't choose them, so yeah. No, it's like I said, this flushed him out a bit. I will admit, I enjoyed him somewhat because you know, when you're a teenager, yeah, you, yeah. you like that the the snarky bad sort of badass on the team, right? He was Absolutely. the bruiser. He was the one. When I got back into comics, I will admit that Wolverine or the original origin miniseries is part of what drew me back. It was that okay. th- when the movies came out and I stumbled across Essentials in bookstores, I started buying Essentials from the bookstores. It was uh, an article in the local paper that got me into a comic shop to buy new product because they announced that Wolverine's origin was finally going to be told. Yeah. And like you said, that mystery around it is part of what drove the any interest I had in the character. It did set him apart from the rest. He couldn't tell you. Yeah, this is blah, 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 blah. Like, he couldn't pinpoint exactly how he got his powers. He couldn't tell you, yeah, I got bit by a radioactive spider, or my parents worked in a nuclear power plant and I was born a mutant, or any yeah, of the sure. other things. Yeah, true. Sure. As far as Wolverine was concerned, his life started when he was a full-grown adult breaking out at his Weapon X project. Yeah. And anything before that just didn't really exist, and he had no idea what was going on. And one yeah. of the things I liked about Origin was that when it ended... The readers knew what was going on. The character didn't. Yeah, because I was I was quite upset when they announced that mini. But when I read it, it didn't affect things as much as I expected it to. And I gave mm-hmm. him a timeline as well. You finally knew when he was born and how old he was. You know, they've killed him now. And I don't know how long he's going to stay dead for. But um, uh, they need to do some serious repair to his uh, his character to make him important again, I guess. You know, it, it used to be that when he was in the thing, you said, oh, no. Stuff's going to go down now. This is going to get bloody. And then he just became, oh, we can chuck him at anyone and he'll burn to a crisp and he'll grow himself again. It'll take a little while. He'll smell, but he'll grow back again. And yeah, it's the problem with Superman, isn't it? Mm -hmm. The problem with Superman is that unless you've got kryptonite, nothing much else is going to make a difference to him. And it was the same with Wolverine. You could throw anything at him and he would still be alive. Yeah. So he's towards the tail end, setting up the death when he lost his healing factor. Yeah. And it brings the stakes back. And even early on, mm-hmm. I mean, the healing factor was just treated as, well, he heals more quickly than normal. So he got, you know, he got a, a knife wound to the gut. I yeah. Mean, even the Dark Phoenix saga or prior yeah. to the Dark Phoenix saga. And he's like, it, it's okay. I heal quickly, but I am going to need time. Yeah. So healing quickly for him meant he had to sit there for a few minutes, not a few seconds, setting yeah, yeah, up yeah. this knife wound. Exactly. When it became the way it is in the movies where he, you know, takes a gun to the head, the bullet falls out. And the, the flush yeah. peels around it. I mean, I one of the things I like about the way Jeff Loeb handled Superman in the first arc of Superman Batman, when he got shot by the kryptonite bullet, his healing factor didn't eject the bullet. It just started repairing the tissue around it. So Batman was in there trying to get the bullet get out the while he still could. True. That to me, I mean, you would know better than I would. Fractures has much stronger medical training than I do. <laughs> just a bit. Just a couple of degrees. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it to me that seems like a more reasonable extension of healing quickly. It's what is it going to heal around? Sure. Right. There's moments of that I like, like when Luke Cage took a beating in the Secret War series by Bendis and Del Otto, and that impenetrable skin that helped increase his durability was also a problem for the doctors when they needed to get his internal organs and they're trying to get everything in through the mouth. You know, I think that could be a great comic, you know, <laughs> the hospital for superheroes and the problems that you have trying to treat them. I think that's a great series. I should write that. <laughs> <laughs> With the popularity of Daredevil, it might be time to pitch a reboot of Night Nurse to, to Marvel. Go for very it. Very true. Very true. Very true. Just talking about sort of personal things. People who know me know that I was born in England, by, but my folks moved back to India, and I was in India for 20 years before I came back. And this was the one series that I could not get a single issue of in India at all. The closest I got to this series was the cover for issue two, just seeing that ad in another random Marvel comic, because we used to just get random comics. There were no comic shops there. And to date, that second cover, I know everyone likes the, the cover of issue one. Mm -hmm. The claws are out, and he's... He's got the sort of that dirty Harry, isn't it? Make my day kind of thing. But it's the second issue cover with Wolverine just leaping with his claws out. That's my favorite image of the whole, the whole series. That's my favorite image. And it still yeah. is. Even now, when I look at that, it takes me right back to when I was a kid. Yeah. With that Frank Miller lighting on his face. Oh, yeah. Just really good. I mean, the whole series suffers from that perennial problem of older comics being reprinted on glossy paper, but with the same coloring that they had before. So when you look at these glossy pages and the trade that I've got now, the yellows are very, very bright. It has an overall effect on the whole image. I think this would be better read in its newsprint form. There's a lot to be said for newsprint comics, you know. Yeah, or at the very least, the best colorists understood what newsprint would do to the colors at reproduction and accounted for it. Exactly. And that's what you're saying. When you're just taking that same ink number... And putting yeah. it on different paper, it adjusts. And that's the, you know, the constant battle. Well, do you alter the original colorist's vision, mm. right? Try to guess what they intended or mm. do you leave it as is, which is just, you know, which slightly unintentional depiction do you want? I've got a couple of these omnibuses and they've all, like Thor, the Simonson one has been recolored and it looks, it looks good for the paper that's on. I still mm. love my newsprint issues of that run, but actually with the new coloring, those ones, they look okay. But it's just this. It's like the Born Again hardcover. Mm -hmm. And again, the coloring is the exact same coloring just popped on the popped on glossy page. And just it's glaring. You know, there are there are bits in the in this mini, you know, Miller loves having, you know, them running across rooftops, but with the sort of big Japanese neon signs in the background. And I bet this looked great in newsprint, but it doesn't translate as well onto the glossy paper. But that, that's just my nitpick. That's just, that's a big nitpick, that's it. It is, but you know what? That overall, like I said, even though Wolverine has never, he, he's not that interesting to me these days, probably because of the way he's been handled and and mm. and how much he's been, I think, overused. Part of it is just mm. getting tired of him. Mm. It says a lot about the quality of this particular miniseries that nitpicks like that are the most negative comments we can make in yeah. a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, there are some issues on the list where we didn't even get into coloring because it's just, why did they make these choices in the script? <laughs> did this come from editorial? Did this come from there? Like, you know, who decided it was a good idea to do this? <laughs> and obviously this has an impact on, uh, this is a lot of the second Wolverine movie, well, most of the second Wolverine movie is kind of based around this. And sometimes, sometimes I just wish that they had just 
not changed as much and based it a lot more on just the way this comic runs. I think it would have been quite a good movie as well. I mean, it's an okay movie, but, you know. It's far better than the Wolverine Origins one. Oh, God, yeah. So do you think there was a deeper meaning in this series? If anything, it's that, I mean, yeah, love makes you do strange things. All of this is about Wolverine's love, and even when he's in there being manipulated by someone to set him up as his next love interest, so sort of the rebound woman, to get him back on track, that's a disaster too. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, you could also say, like, love the right person, not the convenient person. Because when he decides, no, he's going to ditch this person and go for Mariko, his life starts to turn around again. And it's when he was starting to give up on Mariko and stick, you know, with the the new one that was secretly manipulating him, that, you know, his life really goes down the tubes. Yeah, I mean, it's the the end of the third issue where he just realizes that he just can't go go at this as a berserker. He's going to have to calm down and be honorable that's that's the thing i mean i suppose the mission statement for this this whole series was to give him a better background turn him into that sort of honorable yet flawed warrior that claremont wanted him to be depicted as mm-hmm. even in his previous experiences you knew he was a fighter but you didn't know that he had a code or he was honorable or anything like that and this sort of you know automatically when you think of japan and you think of samurai you're thinking of honor you know yeah. When you think of ninjas, you're not thinking of honor, but when you think of samurais, you are. And they, you know, to be fair to them, they achieved that mission by giving him this background and then fleshing out his character a bit more. And his popularity only went from strength to strength after this. This is the point where he becomes the samurai warrior rather than the soldier. Yeah. Like his attitude towards had been very militaristic. He was originally part of a Canadian government task force. Yeah. All right. And yeah. then when he's on the X-Men, you know he's willing to kill and able to do that. But Cyclops, mm. as his commanding officer, orders him not to, so he doesn't, Yeah, right? which is a very military mindset. No, these are the orders. I yeah. can disagree with the commanding officer. I can call him out. But if he says, no, these are still your orders, you didn't change my mind, Wolverine follows orders. It was a military mindset up yeah. until this point when you realize, oh, he's not following the soldier's code of honor, which for the vast majority of soldiers is valid and exists. Most of the people I know who serve in the military really do want to produce positive change in the world. Yeah. Despite what you think of their marching orders and deployment orders, that's the goal of the actual, you know, troops on the ground. Yeah, agreed. Absolutely agreed, yeah. But, you know, this is a a different code of honor. It's not so much, you know, here are your marching orders. It's, no, this is the right way to handle the situation. Yeah. And Miller loves the story of the 47 Ronin. He puts that everywhere. Everywhere. There's there's always a mention of it somewhere. And there's mention of it here as well. Mm Mm-hmm. We should uh, hold a minute silence for the Star Trek a red shirt in the whole issue, in the mini. Poor, poor, poor Asano. What, is he the police police chief or what is he? Because <laughs> he exists only to be killed. I mean, there's no reason why he's in there. He's only in there so he can get killed by Yukio just by accident as well. It wasn't even intended to kill him, but the poor guy dies. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's there to establish that Wolverine has ties to Japan. He's spent an extended period of time there because yeah. he's got these friends. Yeah. But for this story to work, he can't have any support mechanisms in place. No. So no. you got to bump that guy off right off the bat. Yeah, but for a guy who has no memory of his past, he sure remembers a lot of people from his past, doesn't he? <laughs> I'm not familiar enough with Wolverine to know if his time in Japan was before or after Weapon X. I thought it would have been before. Yeah, me too. But yeah. but you know, we don't I'm not sure. I I I honestly don't know. But uh, if you look at Wolverine's history per se, he remembers a lot of people that you think, well, how does he how does he remember him? How does he remember Majipur? How does he remember, you know, Viper? How does he remember all these people? 
but you know that's fine that's that's you know it makes for good stories <laughs> it does when the when this podcast series is done and i can go back to reading things in in order and get through actually i think i got up to the point where i was three issues into wolverine's first ongoing oh i mean those all the larry harmer stuff so the first issues leading up to larry harmer and beyond uh, I, it's good stuff it's good stuff i loved that stuff when it first came out afterwards it's sort of when when it when it went past 100 uh, it sort of lost its charm a little bit because for that for those for those issues he really a lot of the time he was exploring his past trying to figure out what happened to him uh, after weapon x and and it was you know there's great art there's marked texera art there's uh, silvestri art it's it's just a great series world war 3 you got peter david for having him run into mr fix it like <laughs> oh yeah yeah absolutely Absolutely. There are some gems in there, but as you said, a lot of the driving force behind Wolverine's initial popularity was the mystery surrounding him and his past. Yeah. And yes. the more of those gaps get filled in, the less important he becomes. Yeah. So once you can sit down and timeline every day of his life, then yeah. to keep him an engaging and interesting character, you're going to have to have today's personality working and today's implications of learning all of that have an impact and from what i've read of wolverine which i admit does not include most of his solo series before and after his memories came back to him in a story that did make the list house of m yep that's mm. uh number 26 on this list mm. you know before mm. and after his memories came back to him the only significant difference i've noticed on the page is if someone says james he says yeah yeah no sure sure the problem with fleshing out his character especially in wolverine origins is just made you know when they had the schism where yeah. Wolverine and Cyclops went their separate ways. Yeah. And also in Avengers versus X-Men, it just feels a bit rich for Wolverine to be taking the high road, knowing what he's done in the past. And if you get around to reading Daniel Way's series, Wolverine Origins, he was not a nice guy. You know, if you consider that continuity, he did a lot of horrible things and now he remembers it all. So, you know, for him to take the high road is, you know, at least if he didn't remember any of them, that was different. But for him to take the high road, it's a bit of a bitter pill for me to swallow now. Yeah, depending on the circumstances, there was a, a similar story in the 1990 Silver Surfer run okay. where you know it was established that when he became the Herald of Galactus, Galactus actually stripped him of his conscience and his empathy, Yeah, which is how he was able to go out and do it. Yeah. And when that gets returned to him, right, he had memories of what he'd done, but there's no emotional connection. As soon as the emotional connection is there, yeah. you get an extended story of Silver Surfer out there trying to make amends for the sins of his past. And he's not taking the moral high road when he's having debates with others. He's like, it works with cases like the Punisher showing up in The Devil in Cell Block D at Brubaker's first arc. Oh, that's a great one. That's a great arc. Yeah, Punisher realizes what Matt Murdock is doing to, to the guys in prison, sees him going down a dark path, and gets himself arrested for the sole purpose of getting face-to-face -face with Matt, saying, you don't want to become me. Really? Yeah, that's a great arc. I love that arc. I yeah. have that somewhere here. Yeah, I can't remember. Well, I can't find it now. But I've got it somewhere here. Yeah. Although this mini is not my favorite Wolverine story of all time, it's certainly a very good one. And, you know, at the time, it was the whole thing. It was two giants coming together to do a story on my favorite character. You know, it was Chris Claremont was at the top of his game. Frank Miller was at the top of his game. So this was as big a comic event as, I don't know, Dark Knight Returns or something like that, which came later on. Mm -hmm. It doesn't fail to entertain. It's a good series. The art is very good as well. So, you know, I think it's a reasonable choice for the top 75, is how I would say. Yeah, I would say, yeah, looking at why it, we think it landed at this point in 
in the rankings or in the countdown? I mean, there, there's three elements that we've talked about in the past that will mm-hmm. land things, you know, on this list of the greatest stories. There's, you know, significant moments of continuity, first appearances, deaths, weddings, and so forth. Yeah, sure, sure. And plus sheer entertainment value and, and things yeah. like that. This is here because, first of all, it is a good story. Yeah. And then, of the, actually, of the three, the third one, the deeper meanings, I think, is the one that really doesn't apply. It's not the messages that landed on here. It's on this on the countdown because it's a good story. And yeah. when it comes to the where it fits in continuity, I yeah. would say the Claremont Burn Uncanny X-Men run and this mm. miniseries are the two vital pieces that changed Wolverine from just that short guy in yellow mm. to the popular powerhouse that he is. And he was uh, that he was throughout the 90s and I suppose yeah. extending up to his death because I guess he was still pretty popular when he died. He was. I mean, mm. there's not many characters where you can launch a weekly series based solely on the fact that he's dead now. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how well it's doing, though, but yeah, I absolutely agree on that one. Well, hopefully after Secret Wars, he'll come back and maybe he'll come back better or we'll have to see. Yeah, we'll see what happens when, when Secret Wars is all said and done. There's there's a lot of potential there to rewrite the universe without really rebooting the universe. I suspect this will be different from your Flashpoints and New 52s, right, where the characters don't remember the way it was before. Yeah. I, I believe when Secret Wars is done, we're going to have a new world. We're going to have characters who grew up in different histories, but they will remember the world they grew up in, and it's not the world they're in now. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I'm actually looking forward to reading that series, to be fair. I'm looking forward to it. We'll see what happens. I think that's about it, really, isn't it, about this one? I think so. So, uh, yeah, Fractures, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. And uh, for those of you reading along at home, our next podcast is going to be about Avengers Disassembled. So this is Avengers 500 to 503, along with Avengers Finale, the one-shot. It has been reprinted in the Avengers Disassembled trade paperback, Marvel Must Haves number 21, the Avengers Disassembled hardcover, and it's also available on Marvel Digital Unlimited and Comixology. So please join us next week for that one. Thank you for listening. Hey, are you a jock that likes comics? Are you a nerd that likes comics? Do you feel left out sometimes? Well, then we've got the show for you. I'm Imran. And I'm Anthony. He's the jock. And he's the nerd. And we host the Jock and Nerd podcast at jockandnerd.com. If you're looking for fun, entertaining, laugh-out-loud geek chat over all the latest Marvel, DC shows, and news, visit jockandnerd.com. Full spoiler podcast, lots of swearing. Uh, you're such a jock. You're such a nerd. Oh, come on. Shut up, nerd. Okay.